Hey everyone, what's going on? Welcome to a brand new edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast on the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. And right now we'll be bringing the latest and greatest going on around the world of Hollywood. Hope everyone had a wonderful weekend and is ready for really kind of one of the second official week of August as we roll through the rest of the summer. Some things I don't want to talk about on the podcast today. I'm going to be getting into my reviews for both two of the biggest films that come out this weekend in Bullet Train and Prey. I'm also going to be talking about Giancarlo Esposito talking to one of the biggest franchises in Hollywood right now for a potential role down the line. So I'll get into that in a whole lot more. But the first thing that I do want to talk about on the podcast today is, of course, the box office recap and kind of going over some of the biggest winners and even some losers that came over the weekend. And of course, this is really kind of the last big official weekend, I feel like, in the summer movie season, especially when you get into August. And even though we're still in the midst of kind of this recovery for the the box office within the pandemic. This year has very much in this summer has been a great year for movies, but it's kind of gotten back into the kind of retreated a little bit back into the kind of the 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 normalcy of it. And that August doesn't really have a lot of heavy contenders. And the first weekend of the of the month is usually where you get the last big blockbuster of the summer movie season to come out. And this year that honor goes to Brad Pitt's Bullet Train, and it was the film that claimed the top spot at the box office this weekend, dethroning DC's League of Super Pets and Bullet Train came in at around expectations for the box office and for Sony this weekend. It grossed around $30 million this weekend, and that's exactly where the studio had their projections kind of coming out of. So again, when you usually hit those weekend numbers and those projections, you usually had a pretty good weekend for yourself. So Bullet Train comes in around $30 million domestically and has $32 million internationally for a 62 worldwide total as of right now for its opening weekend. And that's not a bad start, again, for a film that has a big star in Brad Pitt. Now, it doesn't seem like he's holding the clout that Tom Cruise was able to do with Top Gun Maverick earlier in the summer, but still, to draw people out to go see Bullet Train, which is a, a based off of this kind of novel and, and adapted from something that maybe not a lot of people know, and, and you want to have that star power, and you have a really good A-list cast that also includes Aaron Taylor Johnson, Brian Tyree Henry, Zazie Beach, Joey King, Bad Bunny, you it's more drawn to the star power than than anything else with this movie and to get 30 million dollars is pretty good the big question coming forth for bullet train is going to be the fact of can it actually retain and keep momentum moving forward throughout the the rest of this month and that's a big thing where with really nothing else playing throughout the, the rest of the summer and sure you can have a few late hits that could hit maybe something like beast which is coming out in a few weeks with Idris Elba could be a late summer hit for August and for the summer movie season. But really, it's about that last blockbuster doing really well and really kind of having that month to really gain its sea legs and and churn out as much of a performance as you can before you hit the the fall movie season. Something that comes to mind when we look back at track records is Guardians of the Galaxy in August, where that really had the whole month to itself, and it performed way better than anything anybody ever expected it to, and became the phenomenon that it is today. And I don't think Bullet Train is going to get to those numbers, but I think the studio would be very happy to see this grows $100 million plus at the worldwide box office, because this is a $90 million production budget before marketing and advertising, so I'm sure they're going to want to try to get into the successful limit of this film and make sure that's a hit because I know from the red carpet appearances that this film has been doing, the CEO over at Sony Entertainment has been potentially wanting this to be a franchise and certainly this does have the potential to be that with some of these characters and I'm sure that they want to continue that with all the Spider-Man characters that they have and so on and so forth. So for Sony, I could see them really wanting to turn this into something but for $30 million, I think that's a good start and it's going to be very interesting to see what happens over the next couple of weeks and that's exactly exact kind of thing that we were looking to see what would happen with DC's League of Super Pets, which came in at the New York number two spot this week, engrossing $11 million at the box office and now has $45 million domestically, $38 million internationally for a worldwide total of $83 million. And for the film to open up its weekend with $23 million that did come in below expectations, but it still was in kind of the realm of, of underperforming a little bit, but not 
shot so much that it was considered a misfire. And again, it's about what can you do with these next couple of weekends. And unfortunately for DC League of Super Pets, again, that big drop that you want to have for a film, you want to have a very small above 50% drop. Anything below 50%, that is something that you do not want to see. And even though it was it was 51% drop from opening weekend to second weekend. It still was not a good look for DC's League of Super Bets. And for a film that boasts the voice talent of Dwayne Johnson, Kevin Hart, and John Krasinski, and you have the likes of Superman, Batman, you have the Justice League in there, the DC characters, it didn't really perform as well. And I know for, for Warner Brothers and, and, and for the DC studio, this was supposed to be the second weekend for Black Adam other than Super Pets because of the post production wheelhouse that is going on there's still a lot of vfx that needs to be done there's a big backlog and a lot of tent poles right now when it comes to getting the post-production work done so they needed to fill in that gap and they moved dc's super pets up from may to august of their or rather the last week of july to fill in that gap and so i'm sure they weren't expecting anything big but i'm sure they were still looking for this to be somewhat of a modest success but also you look into the fact that something like minions is still doing very well at the box office and there's some competition out there that's going to eat into that. And for people that may not be familiar with these characters or maybe if you had the option of going with Minions or Super Pets, you're going to go with Minions more so than Super Pets because it's more of a reliable franchise that has consistency that you know you'll get the best entertainment for your dollar when spending for that movie. So I think... That's the reason why the success for this won't be replicated. Is it a misfire? As of right now, it's looking to project it to be that way. Again, we'll see what happens, especially since Minions has been out for a little bit longer than Super Pets. Maybe that buzz and momentum dies down, and then Super Pets is able to retain some momentum going forward in these next couple of weeks, because especially with the month of August, and and again, I'll talk about this also with some of these other films coming out, it's going to be very interesting to see if they're able to have a little bit of of an up tick in their numbers and maybe that some of these charts and rankings that are maybe six or seven maybe we see them move up to the three or four spot again because maybe now that there's not a whole lot of stuff coming out people that might want to go back to the theater are going to go back and re-watch some of the films that they enjoyed throughout the season like a Top Gun Maverick, like a Nope like a, a Jurassic World Dominion, Thor Love and Thunder so it's going to be very interesting to see if any of those films are able to do that kind of damage and then speaking of Nope that came in as the number three film this past weekend, grossing an additional $8 million at the box office. It now has $97 million domestically. It has not come out internationally yet. It's set to be hitting the international markets in just a few weeks. But for Jordan Peele, depending on what happens in the next few weeks, potentially next weekend, he very well could find himself staring at having three straight films hitting $100 million in the domestic box office. And even though the legs for Nope aren't on the level of a us or even kind of a get out, even though those numbers are kind of hitting the get out level a little bit, it's not having that same momentum shift of, of, of having small percentage drops and doing well consistently. It's still for an original film to do this kind of money is very, very good. And again, especially when you consider the the pandemic curve that you can give it, that original films aren't doing so well. And that's really kind of IP comic book based films that are really knocking it out of the park, especially over the last year or so. For an original film like this from an acclaimed writer director to do this well so far speaks to the level of volume that his films are requiring. Now that's not to say that he's on a Nolan level yet, but he's getting to that level. And I think in the next couple of years, depending on how many additional films he does, I think he's in that realm of being one of those directors that you see his movie because it is a Jordan Peele movie, like a Christopher Nolan film and so on and so forth, or like a Quentin Tarantino movie. So I think he's getting to that event level type of production. And I think the box office is speaking to that, especially given the circumstances that people might not be a little bit more on unease of seeing something that they're unfamiliar with than something that they're comfortable or familiar with seeing in theaters like again a Spider-Man or a Doctor Strange or a Thor or a Top Gun 
seeing something like this, I think showcases that people want originality and they're here for it. And for Jordan Peele to come in with three straight number one films, no matter the circumstances, is incredible. And I think it speaks to the volume of anticipation people have when seeing his films. Now, nope, is it being received as well as Us or Get Out, but I still think people are talking about it. I think it has a rewatchability factor that rewards second and third viewings at the box office. And again, like I was saying before, I think this very well could be one of those films that stays within the top 10 for the next couple of weeks. And for people that maybe uh, there's nothing new to go see, if they enjoy Nope or they want to get familiar with Nope a little bit more and find some of those underlying tones and messages that Jordan Peele likes to pepper throughout his movies, I think very much this is one of those films that could do very well in the month of August. And then coming in, at number four is moving back into the comic book space and that of course is the latest from the Marvel Cinematic Universe in Thor Love and Thunder which comes in again at number four dropping from the number three spot which it held the previous weekend and it now has and retained a weekend gross of 7.6 million dollars and now has 360 million dollars domestically 382 million dollars internationally for a worldwide total of 698 million dollars at the box office and with those numbers of course Thor Love and Thunder surpasses Thor Ragnarok in the domestic front of being the highest grossing entry in the Thor franchise here in the US and domestically worldwide still Thor Ragnarok holds that number with over 800 million dollars worldwide but still with Thor hitting over 700 million dollars it seems like if it can hold in the next couple of weeks it could potentially reach that spot to hit and be the highest grossing Thor film of all time within the franchise and again I don't think this is a movie that's going to hit a billion dollars even though with given the fact that Thor is an established character that's been around for 10 plus years in the Marvel Cinematic Universe played by a very well known actor has a really good ensemble I don't think it's going to be hitting a billion dollars as maybe a lot of people thought it could because of those circumstances but kind of like with Doctor Strange I think given the fact that Thor is eclipsing its other installments in its own franchise I think speaks volumes to that this character is still a hit and is still very popular and people still want to see this character in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and while it is very divisive I think the the way that the numbers are showing is that people still like what Taika Waititi did in this film and that even though it's it's diminished in some of its repeat viewings it's still getting butts in seats over and over again each and every single weekend and the fact that Thor over the last five or so weekends has not tiptoed down from the top three and not even the top five showcases that people want to go check this film out. And even though maybe the critic divisiveness and, and the audience divisiveness of some of the MCU films and shows over the last year or so is prevalent right now and, and it's on somewhat shaky waters, financially, people are still going to see these movies. They're very much popular. They're still in demand. And I don't think that's going to be changing anytime soon, especially given what Marvel did over at San Diego Comic-Con a few weeks ago and kind of laying down down the land of what the now multiverse saga is going to be over the next five or so years that people are going to be checking this out. So again, I think Thor Love and Thunder, if it can cross and surpass Thor Ragnarok in its worldwide total, I think that'll be a very good day at the box box office for Marvel Studios and everybody over at Disney. And then coming in at number five this weekend is Minions The Rise of Gru, which opened with an additional $7.1 million at the box office and now has $334 million at the domestic box office, the international box office that has $423 million for a worldwide total of $757 million. So again, Minions is the animated film, it seems like, of the summer, beating out Lightyear, most likely beating out DC League of Super Pets as well. And like I was saying, this franchise just has familiarity that parents are able to go into the theaters with and know what that, that their kids are going to have a good time. And, and it's ridiculous fun that even I think parents can enjoy it as well. And it, it was amazing to see what it was able to do on its July 4th weekend and make the kind of money that it was able to make and showcase that if you come out with the film with the right film with the right circumstances and the right characters that parents and families will go out to the theaters and so for Minions to do what it's able to do right now it just shows that it's it's a very in-demand film right now and I'm very curious to see if it'll gross over a billion dollars I'm not sure it's going to be able to do 
that uh, again i just think that there's the momentum for this the fact that it is now the fifth film and it's in its sixth weekend already and it hasn't hit over 800 900 million dollars again we'll see what happens in august it could do that it could gain the legs back but i think it's going to be a little bit slow to reach that billion dollar mark a film that hasn't had any problems grossing a billion dollars excuse me a billion dollars and is just chugging along at the box office since it released on memorial day weekend is top gun maverick which came in at number six this weekend for the first time since it is open ladies and gentlemen top gun maverick is finally out of the top five of the weekend which maybe you might be saying oh that's a shame but you also should be popping champagne bottles in the fact that for that sustained amount of time almost two and a half months top gun maverick has retained itself in the top five and this is the first weekend that has been unable to do that but still it is still making a boatload of money in markets right now it grossed an additional seven million dollars at the box office and now has a domestic total of 662 million dollars domestically internationally now has 690 million dollars for a worldwide total of 1.3 billion dollars not with an m but with a b a capital b at best for this latest from tom cruise and surprise surprise with another weekend of top gun maverick comes another record that is broken this time on the domestic front as top gun maverick has surpassed titanic to be the seventh highest grossing film domestically of all time the next victim on the list to see if it can surpass it for the number six spot is getting to avengers infinity war with 678 million dollars so we'll see if it's able to do that but it seems like paramount is kind of gearing up again for that late august push with again nothing in the market re-release it in theaters i'm very interested to see if it will be able to get some imax screens back some dolby screens back and get those premium level formats with those prices to help kind of reinvigorate the box office and not that it needs any reinvigorating but to get back up to the top five to get maybe back up to the top three it'll be very interesting to see if this film is able to even hit number one potentially maybe by the time we get to the last weekend or two in august if it's able to climb back up in those rankings but paramount is very much making that push right now and i think it also helps especially with its oscar chances of kind of getting back into that buzz conversation with a lot of these festival films that are going to be making their way throughout the next couple of weeks as well so i think tom Maverick has a really prime a, a, a prime opportunity here to capitalize on a kind of dry period that is happening in the theatrical marketplace over the next couple of weeks as well and again it's gonna be very curious to see what how if it can this thing hit a, a billion and a half can it hit 1.6 1.7 i don't know i don't think it'll be able to hit that but it is it's going to be a really really interesting couple of weeks for this film and i'm trying to get eric davis back on this podcast to kind of recap the summer and preview the fall season but i remember him saying when we were previewing this summer that top gun maverick is going to be the talk of the summer and this was before i saw it i was like we'll see maybe that could very well happen and and I, I was, I was, I could see it being a possibility. But after seeing the movie, I just was, I doubled down alongside of him, and it just, it hasn't let down. And he's been 100% correct that right now, Top Gun Maverick has been the movie of the summer of the year. It's been that pop culture moment that everyone's kind of been talking about, along things like Stranger Things. And so I just think this film just delivered, and it, it delivers for everybody. I think people are still going to check this film out, and especially the fact that it's been playing theaters for so long it's still across multiple multiplexes and in hundreds of theater distribution chains i think that this this could really capitalize on the late surge in august and the final few weeks of the summer movie season then coming in at number seven this weekend was another surprise hit that has come this summer is where the crawd that's selling grossing another 5.6 million dollars at the box office and now has 64 million dollars domestically 12 million dollars internationally for a worldwide total of 77 million dollars at 
the box office. And for a film that only had around a budget before marketing of around $24 million, this is a big win for, again, kind of adult entertainment in theaters, kind of like Top Gun Maverick and, and, and Elvis, where some of these films are just able to speak to certain demographics and you don't know if they're going to come back because of the pandemic and COVID and do they feel safe in theaters? And it seems like they are. And again, this isn't grossing $200, $300 million, but still for a film to kind of do this, I think gives the studio a lot of confidence that they know that there is a market for these kinds of films and that it gives them confidence to make more of them down the line. So whenever you see a win like this, it's a win in the moment, but it's also a win in the future for potential things to come, especially for a production company like Reese Witherspoon's in Hello Sunshine, which of course does a lot of TV shows. But again, with these kinds of wins, it gives them the confidence to make more of these films and it gives studios confidence in distributing those movies and giving them additional budget and money to make these movies the way that they are. So I think it helps for them. I'm very excited for Daisy Edgar Jones, who I think is a huge star and one of the big up and comers in Hollywood right now that reminds me very much of like the trajectory that Florence Pugh kind of took in a way. She isn't having like that huge year where she has a string of hits, but she's somebody that is slowly coming along. And I think in the next couple of years, she's going to be a name that everybody is going to recognize and everyone is going to be seeing on a lot of casting announcements in the next couple of years for some big movies. So hopefully this is just the beginning for her and for everybody involved in this film as well. So uh, congratulations to Sony. Uh, congratulations to everybody in, in Hello Sunshine and the cast and crew of Where the Crawdads Sing. And then coming in at number eight this weekend was another newcomer alongside Bullet Train, and that was Easter Sunday, which grossed a $5.2 million opening. It only came out in domestically in theaters, so it only has a total number of $5.2 million. And that is exactly where industry estimates thought and st- excuse me, studio estimates thought the film would come into and it, it fit right into where the demographics were going to be coming from. And I think especially kind of like talking with where the crawdads sing, if, if this is a film that has momentum and has the legs, this could be a film where maybe studios feel confident enough in greenlighting more of these films and more of these comedies. So I'm very curious to see what Easter Sunday does in these, in these next couple of weeks. Again, not a incredible start, a, a decent start to its run. Again, if you fall within the industries and the studio's expectations, you're not starting off on the wrong foot. So if you're not starting off on the wrong foot, then you're doing something right. And I think they were able to market, market on their on their marketing campaign and they were able to capitalize on this. And it seems like we'll be very interested to see where it ends up. And for me, it's kind of curious because when I see the marketing for this and I see Easter Sunday, I think this could have played really well in the springtime, especially because of the name given in it. But coming in as a late August release, they're trying to get in that late last little bit of summer comedy in here. We'll see what it's able to do. But again, not a not a not a bad start, not a good start, but a decent start for Easter Sunday. Then coming in at number nine this weekend is another film that has been making waves this summer, and that is Baz Luhrmann's Elvis, which grossed an additional $4 million at the box office and now has $136 million domestically internationally. It has $114 million for a worldwide total of $251 million. Now, I don't know if if this movie and the numbers are going to be able to catch what Boz did for The Great Gatsby because those numbers are pretty big for a, a, a adaptation. It has $351 million worldwide at the box office and even domestically it has around 140 $4 million. So it's going to take a little bit more legs for this film to catch those numbers. But for the fact that this is the second highest grossing Baz Luhrmann film of all time, I think speaks volumes to what he was able to do with this film. Again, it was going to be shaky to see if this film would be, even be a success because of the fact that it's a it's a biopic. It's about Elvis. Even though that Elvis still is a, is a name that people know, is he as popular as he was maybe in the, the 90s, 80s when he could have made a movie like this? and it it rang true and I think it has to do with the material that it is Elvis Presley but I think Austin Butler somebody who isn't a huge name yet I think obviously after this movie he's somebody that people will obviously recognize and he's you're seeing that in the roles that he's being given as of right 
now appearing in the next sequel for Dune, Dune Part 2. So he's very much getting into that stratosphere, but you have somebody like an Austin Butler that people knew before his casting of Elvis. You, of course, have somebody on the caliber of Tom Hanks. Even though Baz isn't Quinn or, or Nolan or even Jordan Peele, he has a very distinct style that has his core audience that people will go out and see. So I think all that mixed together worked very well for this film's favorite made it a surprise hit for the summer season and again like where the crawdads sing top gun maverick no you need films like this to do well to show against studios the confidence that adult fare can still play in theaters and then it doesn't need to be put on streaming so again this is a huge hit for them and the same thing for the film that rounds up the top 10 which is the black phone which grows an additional 1.4 million dollars 85 million dollars domestically worldwide total of 148 million dollars internationally it grows 62 million dollars so and again this is another case where for horror again it showcases that well, horror is a little bit easier because even for a low budget film you can do you can make some money back and especially the way that Blumhouse does it shorter budget shorter shoestring make back the money in a way that is even if you make 60 million dollars on this movie it was still a big win for them the fact that they were able to gross over 100 million dollars worldwide at the box office showcases that this film did very well for itself and was a big horror hit for the summer movie season and then one more film that I want to talk about real quick it came out at number 15 but did very well for itself considering that it only played in six theaters and that is the latest from A24 that came out with Bodies Bodies Body which stars Amanda Steinberg Maria Bakalova Pete Davidson and Lee Pace and it just showcases the incredible role that A24 is on this year where they're coming out with some not huge high profile films but films that people are really enjoying and word of mouth is really caring of course their big film over the last couple of years is everything everywhere all at once but bodies body bodies from the trailers that i've seen i'm really looking forward to and it seems like audiences responded very well for the limited amount of screens that this film was on as it grows thirty-eight thousand per theater and it is one of the best limited openings of the year alongside their latest their their older film from a24 but Again, a, a huge win for this film. And I'm very curious to see, because of the positive word amount this film has been getting over the last couple of weeks, the what, the fact that they're expanding out even more, could this also be a late summer hit that does well for the studio and for theaters? Because again, horror, comedy, they play really well with each other. And, and I think this is a film that could do well and get people back into the theaters to see something different and new. And I'm very happy for this film. I love to see what A24 is doing right now that they're getting this kind of recognition because they play more to the indie avant-garde experimental crowd to see a film like this do something different and 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 reach audiences it seems like and hopefully it's able to do that in the next couple of weeks um, i'm very excited for it and i'm very excited to see it next weekend when it comes a little bit more towards my neck of the woods in jersey right now but i'm very excited for bodies 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 and i'm very happy to see that it is doing well at the box office and that is it for the box office recap so to go over the one through ten spot again going from ten to one number ten was the black phone number nine was elvis number eight was easter sunday number seven was where the crawdads sing number six was top gun maverick number five was minions the rise of brew number four was store love and thunder number three was nope number two was last week's champion in dc's league of super pets and this week's new winner is of course the new release film of this past weekend in brad pitt's bullet train so what did you guys think of this weekend's box office? Did you see any of these films? Did you are you excited to see any of them? Whether it be Bullet Train, Easter Sunday, Bodies, 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 excuse me, or is it is there something else that you're looking forward to see that came out earlier in the summer as well? Let me know what you think down below and leave your thoughts. Now to move away from the box office and move over to some other movie news that is hitting the circuits right now. I want to move over to, of course, what else then of the Marvel Cinematic Universe? And it's another new month. And of course, with that comes another high profile project from the studio. And that, of course, this this month is going to be the Disney Plus show She-Hulk Attorney at Law. And it's been a show that I've been looking, I've been interested in. And the trailers, especially with the CGI, has very much improved over the last couple of weeks. And I know that this is a, a show that is going to be a half an hour legal comedy that has very much kind of been in the, the, the realm of some additional 
comedies that we have seen over the last few decades really and and I think with with She-Hulk the fact that it's being more of a comedy I'm, I'm very intrigued to see what Marvel continues to do with that and of course one of the big things with this show is that it is going to be filled with a bunch of cameos to the brim and now some of those that we've heard about of course is getting Emil Blonsky back as Abomination we're getting Bruce Banner Mark Ruffalo is coming back as Hulk we're also getting Wong so BD Wong is coming back to play this character once again and one of the bigger ones that we it was kind of a unofficial secret in the way but has kind of become more official over the last couple of weeks and that of course is charlie cox returning as matt murdoch aka daredevil and the closest look that we ever really got to him was in the latest from san diego comic-con where it was kind of the last it was the, the the stinger at the end of the latest trailer where we see someone kind of flipping in and then we kind of pan up to his body and we see the batons we see what looks like to be kind of the, a makeshift daredevil costume that very much is akin to the yellow red suit that we've seen in the comic books and even though we don't see his face we get we pretty much know that is most likely daredevil and when this show was announced and it's about Jen- jennifer walters and it's Dealing with 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 legal with legals and and court drama or court comedies and, and, and court issues and things like that, and when Kevin Feige said at a Disney Investor Day that that you'd be seeing some surprises in here, and even though that was 2020, you figure that maybe just maybe we could get Daredevil and Matthew Murdock into this conversation and into the show, and then of course seeing him in, in even though it was brief, just seeing him in that little scene with Peter Parker happy and Aunt May in Spider-Man No Way Home. We knew that Daredevil was coming back. And the fact that Kingpin made an appearance in the finale of Hawkeye, those characters were going to be coming back. And it seems like She-Hulk is just the start of seeing Daredevil fully return to form in the official Marvel Cinematic Universe coming over from the Netflix side. And again, the big question was, what what is his, what is his suit going to be? Is it going to be the classic red, black kind of costume? Is it going to be more akin to what we saw on Netflix? Is it going to be something completely different? There were rumors that it was going to be the yellow costume, but how would that kind of play on screen? Because yellow on on screen on camera isn't it's tough to really kind of pull that off so i was curious to see if it was going to be the yellow suit how are they going to pull it off and earlier this weekend we really got our first full glimpse of the costume with that kind of yellow tint that it has and it's basically the netflix costume but kind of instead of the the red kind of painted onto the onto the helmet it's the yellow with kind of like a glossy feel to it it's got the same kind of body velcro armor that he has on from the netflix series so it seems like it's the same costume with an updated paint job in a way and even though it's only a little bit of a glimpse i like what we saw and and i was very skeptical from the rumors that it was going to be the yellow costume but again even just in the brief little bit that i saw it seems like they did a good job with it and it's not full-on bright yellow which i is what i thought it was going to be it's a very much more toned down darker yellow which i think is 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 a better look for for daredevil now is it going to be like that for his entire run in the mcu i don't know i'm sure we might get a more traditional costume in his in his netflix show daredevil born again in a couple years but i think for right now this is the this is the path that they're going down right now and First off, I'm I'm just really excited to get Charlie Cox back as Daredevil. I think that it was smart for them to keep Charlie Cox in that role. And I think because of how popular he was, it just made sense for Kevin Feige to say, you know what? We could create a new story with, with this Daredevil, but we're going to keep the same actor just because you can't get better than him. And I, and I think you can acknowledge that even though maybe they didn't do things that you would would have done with the character, I think you can you can still tip the cap off to the, the, the casting process and getting the right people in these characters. And he's one of those people where it's... He's synonymous with the character. You can't think of the guy without the actor, like a Robert Downey Jr., like a Chris Evans. And I'm just not I'm not saying that Charlie Cox is on that level, but he very much brings the Daredevil character to life in the best way possible. So I really like the the yellow costume. The one thing that I'm very curious about actually is 
because people have associated with this daredevil with a more of a dark gritty realistic feel to it he's much more serious and 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 brutal and brute it, i'm very curious especially with the tone of she-hulk how that's going to fit in is he is he going to be that same guy is it going to be a little bit more levity to it because uh, we'll get into it more once daredevil the show born again comes into play but is there going to be more of a violent nature to that episode than maybe other episodes of she-hulk might be i'm very curious to see how they incorporate daredevil into this universe but with the costume at leaks at least just seeing it it looks really cool um, i really want to see it in full frame how it looks in motion so we'll see once that episode airs and i'm hoping that we it's a full episode of matt murdoch and daredevil i hope it's not just something where we get through the whole show and then the final episode it's a post credit scene and that's it i'm hoping that it's a full-on episode that we get of charlie cox back in the man without fear costume so what do you guys think about the costume for Daredevil? It seems like Disney, even even if Marvel had nothing to do with it, it seems like they're just ripping the Band-Aid off and they're, they're like basically, yeah, we know that you know Daredevil's in it, so we're not going to hide it. Here you go. Here's a little sample. And it gets you excited for what's to come. So I think that's enough that they need to get people enticed to see this show and look forward to it over the next couple of weeks. What do you guys think about the new Daredevil look from She-Hulk Attorney at Law? Are you excited about the show? It's only about a week or so away now, 10 days until She-Hulk Attorney at Law premieres on Disney Plus August 18th on a Thursday. Again, instead of Wednesday, it's going to be on Thursdays now, the 18th instead of August 17th. Let me know what you guys think about it down below and leave your thoughts. And then staying with the Marvel Cinematic Universe for my final movie story of the podcast, I want to talk about a an actor that seems to have taken some general meetings with Marvel and could be well on his way to being a pretty significant part of this universe moving forward. And that, of course, is the one and only Giancarlo Esposito, who, of course, you might know from Breaking Bad or just more recently, of course, he's been the main baddie in the Mandalorian show so far, playing Moff Gideon. And it seems like potentially he could be having a role within the Marvel Universe. Now, now, he did say in at a Comic-Con convention later this past weekend that he seems like to have been in talks with Marvel for a, a some kind of role. Now, usually with Marvel Studios, and we've heard it from interviews beforehand, just recently with Katherine Hahn last year, she talked about how she had a general meeting with, with Marvel, and then it led to her getting the Agatha Harkness role. And now it seems like with Giancarlo, it seems like he's had general meetings with Marvel. They really want him. It sounds like he really wants to be part of the franchise as well. Now, she's a matter of seeing who he's going to play. Now, he could already have the, the, the character in. He might already be casted as somebody. We just don't know who it is yet. Or he might be just waiting to see if Marvel has anything for him. Now, he's come out and said who he would really want to play. And the person who he really wants to adapt for this version of Marvel is the head of the mutants, the head of the X-Men, the one and only Professor X taking over the role from both Patrick Stewart and, of course, and James McAvoy from the 20th century editions of those characters. And he's also said that he would want to play potentially Magneto. Dr. Doom's been attached to him as well. So there's been a litany of both heroes and villains that he's put himself into. But of course, the big question is, what villain or, or character would he play really, really well? And I could absolutely see him playing a hero. I think, especially because I think of everything he's played throughout his life, he's played more of a villain than a hero. So I'm sure he would want to play a, a dip typecast, really. He would want to play against what he's usually played in. But he's just so good as a villain that it, 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 should, it would be a wasted opportunity to just have him be a good guy, unless he's somebody who is morally conflicted. And I think someone like a Professor X would be somebody who can be more on the gray lines, who is doing the right things, but sometimes the right things aren't the, the best things at that time. So I could see him playing Professor X, but I would actually like him to maybe be on the other side and, and be the villain of the X-Men in something like a, a Magneto. I know people want to see him as Doctor Doom, but I know from, especially if they, if they don't go origin story, they just go full on Doctor Doom costume and he's behind the mask. I, I, I just think John Carlos Esposito is too good of a talent 
to hide behind a mask. I think you need him. He, he, he just has a great emotional face that he can just, he can be stoic, but he can be very emotional at the same time. And, and you don't know what's going to happen. He's a wild card. And I love that about him. And I think him playing either a Professor X or even a Magneto, I think would be a great casting choice by Marvel. If, if that's a role that he wanted, and if that's a role that Marvel thought he'd be good for, I think especially since Magneto would be a, a huge big bad for the MCU moving forward, especially for the X-Men, and given the storylines that they could do with that character, I think he would very much fit that role really well. So I think you could go either way. Professor X, Magneto, I think one of those two roles, I think he could very well play. And, and I think for him, it's understandable. Again, you've played a bad guy for so long, you want to play on the good side a little bit more. But he just he chooses such great scenery as a villain. And I'm excited to see what he does in season three of The Mandalorian. I hope they give him a lot more to do because in just the little bits that he had in both season one and season two of Mando, he was such a highlight, but he just he wasn't in enough scenes. And I think that's just because they're more focused on the journey of Mando and Grogu. And then you insert people like Moff Gideon into those situations. Well, I'm hoping that maybe we get a little bit more of his character in this next season of the show, wherever they decide to go in that direction. But in terms of Marvel, again, I would refer him as Magneto, but whatever role you give him, I would be very happy to just have that kind of talent in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So what do you guys think? Would you enjoy seeing Giancarlo Esposito in the role of a Magneto or even a Professor X or even a Doctor Doom? Or is there another role that you would want to see him be a part of? Let me know what you think down below and leave your thoughts. And the final bit of stuff that I want to talk about on the podcast today is doing some reviews for a few films that I saw over the past weekend. Now, usually I like to kind of do them separately where I'll do my main podcast show and then usually I'll have separate segments or just kind of do little side side episodes where it'll just be a review for a, a film or even sometimes a TV show. But because I saw these two and I wanted them to include them with this podcast, I decided to review them here instead of doing them separately. So the first one that I want to talk about to the to you guys and to, to see what you guys think about it is, of course, Bullet Train. And I saw it over the weekend. I saw it Friday specifically. I saw it in IMAX theaters. Of course, it is directed by David Leach. It stars Brad Pitt, Joey King, Bad Bunny. You also have Brian Tyree Henry, Aaron Taylor Johnson, Zazie Beetz is in this as well, Michael Shannon. And it has such an incredible cast. And it is about this kind of operative who Who's codenamed Ladybug, and he's kind of given this simple assignment of just uh, uh, just getting this briefcase from a bullet train and then get off the train. But of course, it wouldn't be a film if it was just that. So chaos ensues. He he is in conflict with a bunch of other assassins that seem to be on the train for different reasons. But those reasons kind of come into focus, and it becomes a singular threat that they all are kind of connected to. And it's just mayhem. It is just absolute pandemonium, and it is everything you would want. In a David Leach film, who is a action connoisseur at this point, from doing films such as, of course, John Wick and Atomic Blonde, Hobbs and Shaw, Deadpool 2. He is somebody who knows how to craft action sequences. And I was very much looking forward to it because of him. I really like him as a director. He, of course, comes from the stunt world initially, and he's he's one of the 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 kind of the trailblazers in creating these new kind of action films that are very entertaining that deal with some great hand-to-hand combat but of course they deal with great weaponary action sequences like Gun Fu in the John Wick franchise and I'm very I'm just always curious to see what he's going to do next and with something like Bullet Train it's not it is a straight up action film but it very much also deals with kind of establishing this this mythology this story these characters and it, it tries to tell you something about all this and and I was very curious about it. And also because of the confinements of being on a bullet train, you don't get these crazy, well, you get crazy action sequences, but they're not stuff that is very kind of fluent or crisp. It is very much kind of muddied and all over the place and messy. And I like that kind of switch for David Leach and what he was, what he had to do 
with with that direction sense with the action but it's still on point it's still awesome to see all the action kind of come on set it never got boring at any stretch either the movie itself or the action sequences at all i thought that the main highlights were brad pitt i thought aaron taylor johnson and brian tyree henry had amazing amazing chemistry honestly i could watch a film with just those characters alone and i would be entertained i mean they have such great banter with one another and it seemed like that they were going to be the ones that not carried the film but would really kind of resonate with you and it very much is that sense I could definitely see why Aaron Taylor Johnson got the role of Craven the Hunter. I just think he's, again, charismatic. He's got that brute force at the same time within this movie, and he can do action sequences. And so I, and he's got enough meaty roles and, and, enough, and enough time that you could you can understand it. With someone like Bad Bunny, though, unfortunately, I just don't think he's given enough time in the movie to really kind of formulate an opinion off of. I thought the the, the, the sequences that he was a part of were really good, and I want to want to see him do more in the future unfortunately if you kind of see the trailers if you see all the marketing material you basically see everything that bad bunny is in but again when he's in it he's very effective in what he does i was just really kind of surprised that it was that was it for his character there wasn't more to it because it made it sound like given that sony really liked what he did it would be like an aaron taylor johnson where you you give him a lot more to do and you like what he's done with the role that you offer those kind of big opportunities and roles for him so i'm very curious to see what bad bunny does with something like el Moreto, where he's going to be the shining spotlight on that film but again he did a really good job i thought joey king was very good as well andrew koji was very good too everyone did a, did a really good job i thought the the twists in terms of the story were pretty good i thought that there was a mythology that at one point didn't make some sense, but I thought that they brought it along enough that you made sense of it in in the end. And I, I just think that David Leach crafted a fun summer blockbuster in a way. And, and this is going to be a film that is going to end up on the top 10 of your favorite films of the year. It could very well for what I know, but I don't think it's going to end up in mine. It's not going to, it's not an awful movie by any stretch of the imagination. It, it's a fun last big ride of the summer movie season. And I think that's what they intended. And I think, and I think that's what they delivered. And I think the comedy sticks really well. I think there's some really good moments between a lot of these characters and it, it looks beautiful to submit the the cinematography is gorgeous i love i love the soundtrack the music is great some really fun entertaining cameos especially when you know who david leach works with a lot of the times there's definitely some cool cameos that come into play in this one as well so overall had an absolute blast with it definitely check it out in theaters if you have a chance i think this is one that you can definitely enjoy on the big screen you don't have to go see it in imax or or dolby i don't think it'll increase the experience but definitely go see this on the big screen in some way shape or form i definitely give it a 7.7 out of 10 stars for bullet train now moving on to the last film that I saw over the weekend that I want to talk about to wrap up this podcast, and that of course is Prey, which is a prequel from the Predator franchise, and it basically follows this Comanche tribe in the 1719, and it's basically a very straightforward cat and mouse game between this this alien being that's a predator and a Komochi woman who is trying to make a name for herself as a hunter and somebody who is important to her tribe and it's basically just one another hunting themselves down through the wilderness and that's basically all you need to know about the film it is a very straightforward hour and 40 minutes just contained with some incredible awesome predator action blood guts Score, everything you would want and it's got some 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 jump scares some suspenseful moments the vfx are amazing it tells an incredible story with a great star making performance and amanda Minthunder, who i think is somebody who's going to be a very well-known name and I love the angle of the Komochi tribe kind of being the forefront of this. And it's very much about man-made weapons with advanced technology and how all that kind of comes together is really well done. It, it also tells a really endearing story about perseverance, showing who you are, not subjecting yourself to, to, to norms and to, and to doing what you want to do, always trust yourself. And, and I think it really does embrace that. It's directed incredibly, incredibly well. 
Well by the director of 10 Cloverfield Lane, who did a really good job with that film, but in this one just does a great job with the action sequences in David Trackenberg, who who is just an, an awesome director, and I hope he gets more work down the line because he really did some really good stuff with this film as well. The 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 wilderness, the the nature elements played a huge part in this film. It feels as close as you possibly can to capturing that magic of the Predator franchise again. Again, for me, I'm not saying that it's the best out of out of all the Predator films. The original is still the original, but in terms of just you feel like you're you can match it up with that film. This is definitely the one that you can talk about, kind of of leveling up and matching that film, the intensity in the magic. Of, of why that film Predator, why it is such a classic sci-fi action horror thriller in every sense uh, of the word. So th- this is definitely one to check out on Hulu. I wish it was playing in theaters. I would have loved to see this on the big screen with the surround sound. I think a lot of people would have definitely checked this one out, especially again, when we talk about late summer hits, I think this is definitely one that could have been a summer hit that nobody saw coming. And I don't even think Disney saw it coming because I think, because they, they, they screened this at Comic-Con and I don't think they were, they were expecting the the praise that this film was able to get. I'm sure they were hoping for a good movie, but I think they were looking for what they that, that this film has become. And I think that if they could do it all over again, I'm sure that they would put it, hopefully they would put it in theaters for a lot of people to see. But I still think people are going to check this one out on Hulu. I think the numbers for this one hopefully will do very well. And it definitely, without spoiling anything, definitely leaves itself open for a potential sequel down the pipeline. And if you're somebody who thinks, well, this is a prequel, do I have to know anything about the Predator films in general? You could go into this one, not even have watched the first Predator film with Arnold Schwarzenegger, I still think you can enjoy this film a whole lot. It's got a great final act, great final action set piece that is really, really well done. Everything about this film is top-notch filmmaking, top-notch acting. Congrats to everybody that worked on this film. I give it an 8.8 out of 10 stars for my meter on movie reviews. So 8.8 out of 10 for Prey, 7.7 out of 10 stars for Bullet Train. Absolutely enjoyed both films. Loved Prey a little bit more than Bullet Train. So what did you guys think about both of these films? Have you seen Bullet Train? Have you seen Prey? Let me know down below and leave your thoughts. But with that down and out of the way, that will do it for this edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast. Once again, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to check out my channel for more content. You can check me out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, SoundCloud, and much more. Also, make sure to tune in on to the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions, and be sure to check out the other amazing shows that are on here, such as You Mad Bro, the number one source to see what the internet is pissed off about on a weekly basis. Also, make sure to check out goal-driven professionals, geared toward improving client relations, return on investment, and customer acquisition costs for independent businesses and services. Also, make sure to check out The Daily Grind, a weekly motivational podcast with Kelly Johnson, giving you your everyday tips and key takeaways on reaching your goals. Also, make sure to check out the other amazing shows on the podcast solutions, such as Wrestle Attic Radio, WrestleMania Podcast, and Midnight Showing. You can check these out and so much more on the website, ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com, also on Facebook and Twitter at Real Ambiguous. And if you want to check out Canopy Treehouse, use the coupon code AMBIGUOUS. Also, when you get a chance, make sure to follow me on social media. You can find me on Twitter at Bissell Samuel. It's B-U-S-S-E-L-L-S-A-M-U-E-L. And also on Facebook at Sam Bissell. Also, make sure to check out my, my YouTube channel at the Sam Bissell Podcast. So once again, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. And until next time, keep on screening.